1: Good morning to you. It's Monday the uh, 14th of December. You're listening to Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer on Talk Radio. Don't forget you can watch the show as well as listen to us live. We are streaming on YouTube, Facebook and Twitter right now. Coming up, Brexit trade talks could go on until the end of the year after last night's deadline was imagine everyone's surprise missed. Uh, both sides said progress had been made over the weekend, but Boris Johnson insisted that no deal was still the most likely outcome. Well, later I'll be joined by the Business Secretary Alec Sharma and other top guests to discuss that. Meanwhile, NHS bosses have warned that COVID rules could trigger a third wave. In a letter, bosses urged the PM to move all areas into Tier 3 without any delay. They'll never be happy until we're in dire lockdown again, won't they? Uh, the first review of England's three-tier system is on Wednesday, just two weeks after it was implemented. Also, starting today, mass testing programmes like the one trialled in Liverpool are to be rolled out in 67 tier three areas of England. More than 1.6 million of the rapid lateral flow tests will be delivered for community testing this month. And we'll pay tribute to British writer John Le Carre, who sadly died at age 89. Uh, it's 6:33. This is Talk Radio. Julia Hartley-Brewer, at breakfast, on Talk Radio. Good morning to you. Thank you very much indeed for joining me. Um, I am, unlike my... (laughs) My colleague, not not going to be drinking uh, through today. Although, I mean, if we'd got a really good deal, I think we might have been opening out the champagne. What do you think? Uh, to celebrate a little bit of that. But again, we don't know whether we're going to get a deal. We also don't know, let's face it, whether no deal is better than any deal we do get because surely it's better than a bad deal. But what a surprise, the uh, deadline, the final, final, absolutely we must have a deal by uh, this deadline on Sunday night, passed uh, without any actual decision being made. Now, Ursula von der Leyen The European Commission President and Boris Johnson uh, agreed they would go the extra mile uh, and carry on talks. No new deadline, by the way, has actually been imposed. Uh, Meanwhile, small matter for the rest of us here in Britain. Uh, We are facing an awful lot of uh, concern over Christmas now. Um, big issue is whether or not any tiers should be moved down from three to two whether London and others should move from two to three and have far more restrictions particularly hospitality close to anything but takeaway and delivery. Uh, We are seeing the vaccine rolled out. Quarter of a million people are going to get the vaccine this week thousands though of NHS and care home workers say they may refuse the jab Uh, but we're also looking at this mass testing of tier three cities and towns and these mass testing in schools in London, Kent and Essex. So an awful lot to talk about uh, including or many other stories, BBC comedy shows, uh, energy firm tariffs, and uh, some more revelations about uh, Mr. Uh, Andrew, Mr. Andrew Windsor, one Prince Andrew, and whether or not he did tell any porcupines when he was speaking to Emily Maitlis. Uh, well, all of that uh, to discuss with my guest who's joining me all this morning. And that's journalist at the iPaper, Benjamin Butterworth. Good morning to you, Benjamin. Good morning, Good morning, Julia. Um, I, I don't think there's any scintilla of surprise that uh, that Brexit deadline on Sunday night uh, passed without uh, any decision being made. Um, Prime Minister and Sir line are saying they're going the extra mile and neither wants to appear to be the person who walks away from the table. But um, we're told that preparations for no deal are going on on both sides. Do you think the no deal is still the most likely?
2: I do. And I'd sort of, I'd had my hopes up that maybe the reason it was going down to the wire on Sunday was because Boris Johnson was sort of playing a game of expectations, that it was as much about, you know, if he didn't get a great deal, he could say, well, at least we averted that crisis. But actually, it seems clear now to me that no deal is a very realistic prospect, because, you know, I'm sure the EU wouldn't play along with a game like that past Sunday. I have to say, I think, you know, the fact that the Prime Minister is a former journalist is showing up because he keeps missing deadlines uh, so, so you know god knows when it's when a result's going to come in but um you know i i, I well i think it's more likely no deal will happen because clearly they haven't agreed on some fairly fundamental things they obviously think they can get a deal to some extent otherwise they wouldn't keep pretending because you know these people must be exhausted after yeah. the last week
1: yeah exactly that to me you see i i think now uh, a deal is more likely that That's what I rigid. Otherwise, why are we all still at the table? It would be would be my view. Um, but I mean, again, these are just some very intractable issues. We're told that the EU may be willing to sort of concede on some of their demands, for instance, demanding the right to impose these tariffs uh, on us. Basically, if they if they decide we agree a level playing field right now, they decide to change uh, their uh, laws and rules in the future. We then under a ratchet clause they want would have to actually make those changes as well. So they'd have control over our rules or even after that point. Um, or, or they can impose tariffs unilaterally, their decision. Now, I mean, no sovereign nation state can agree to that. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're China or your, you know, you're the Bahamas. You're not going to agree to that. So um, there's talk about changing that. But also there's also some talk about the UK agreeing to pay compensation to French trawler men and women uh, to clear the impasse. And you just think, I mean... F- I think the compensation should probably be paid by the EU. But again, if this is what is necessary to to sort this out, maybe worthwhile. But it's gonna be we're not really gonna be able to make a judgment until we see the whole thing in black and white with every bit of every bit of detail and coffin and spit.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and you know, fish is clearly a major sticking point. I have to say, and I thought this last week, and I, uh, I was on your program, and I got some people saying that I'm I'm awful for saying it, but I do think I find the I find the fish obsession uh, slightly absurd. You know, it's such a tiny part. Of our economy but do you know but I why it is such a tiny part of our else. economy
1: it's because we've got a very small share of the of the of the fishing rights in our own waters and that was part of the thing one of the things we gave away we did have a much bigger uh, uh fishing uh, uh, industry but we but it would it would be again another big fishing industry and also crucially it would be an industry that would be growing in areas which are most you know hardest hit by everything that's happened in the last 20 30 40 years in terms of de and in terms of uh, of, of uh, all, all the, uh, all, all the sort of downscaling of manufacturing things. This, these, these would be precisely the regions and the areas which which would most benefit from the fishing industry being much stronger.
2: But and, and, you know, if we could come to a deal that helped those, that would be good. Mm-hmm. But the reality here is that we might lose a trade deal in which we would benefit for many, many other industries because of that one fishing yeah. industry that seems to have got the most extraordinary yes. power over the rest of the economy. I don't, I, I I think, d- you know, I don't think
1: a deal is going to fall over just that. But I think there are some fundamental principles there, which is which is that you can say, well, that's not very important. I mean, you could I mean, for instance, you know, if you if you, you were sort of, uh, you know, some, you were buying a house. And you and and someone said, "Well, I'm going to keep the rights to have rights to use your bathroom anytime." You think, "Well, the bathroom's not a crucial part of the house. It's only a small, tiny bit of the house. I'm not in there all that often, but I'd still reserve the right that someone else can't just walk in it whenever they feel like it."
2: I, I'm not sure I'm not sure that's a, an entirely fair <laughs> conclusion, because, of course, y- you know, waters aren't that aren't that simple and that we all have to sort of share them and, and draw a line somewhere. And of course, if, if no deal happens, uh, you know, it's not like we'll get the dream situation either. So you know, there's no sort of it's, it's a false claim to say that there's a perfect outcome for, no. for fishermen. And no, there is no the end I, of this.
1: Yes. I think I think I think for it, it's going to be a fudge. These things, as, if, as if it was happening in Ireland, it will be a fudge. These things often are. Let's talk, though, about... Well, let's fudge. hope we can
2: get a trade deal on fudge, fudge as well.
1: Listen, I've got to be honest. Right now, I feel a little bit more excited about trade deal on fudge. <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about what's happening with COVID. There are so many different stories around at the moment. We've got... For start, we've got the vaccine being rolled out. A quarter of a million people uh, in the older age brackets are going to be getting uh, that vaccine this week. My my mum, ex-GP, telling me yesterday, you know, literally, I'm going to be first in line with the GPs. My local GP offers it. Um, we know that we are vaccinating over seven will cut a majority of COVID cases. That's our, our, our route out of this. Um, meanwhile, we've got mass testing going on. It's going to be starting today in schools in, in key boroughs in London and in the Essex and Kent, where we've seen rising cases among school children. Mass testing also across the entire population in many um, uh, c- dozens indeed of cities and towns in tier three currently. Also, calls today for schools to shut early. They've got another week to go. Sadiq Khan, the London mayor, many local councils across the country calling for schools to close just now. Get it open, you know, disclose the schools. That's where it's being spread. Where do you stand on this? Because, I mean, my, my daughter's school went online for today and tomorrow. They, they finished as of tomorrow lunchtime, but they went online as of Friday on the basis that the people could then be have a whole week away from school before, week and a half before they were seeing family over Christmas, and that this was perhaps a a you know, a a good way of doing it absolutely it seemed to me to be fairly sensible She's at a school where every single child attends Zoom lessons, and you know, full, full attendance. They, they carried on you know, six hours of lessons every day, 98% attendance throughout the, the, the lockdown. So no one's going to miss out on actual lessons in that sense. And it's just a day and a half. We worry about kids missing a whole week of school where not all the kids are going to get lessons, not all the kids are going to be engaged. And also when those schools have barely had any learning this year where children are desperately trying to catch up. Um, is that a good idea?
2: I mean we do know that schools are one of the main areas that this spreads because uh, you know people are obviously in close contact on a relatively large scale compared to the other kind of places that are basically you know closed or very secure at the moment so it is there is a sort of a real problem with schools but I just don't think that they should be closed because you know maybe the kids at, at private school will all have parents that make sure that they do the work at home they have good internet proper yeah. laptops all the kind of facilities to be able to engage in work fully the fact is. That while there'll be many kids of the same description in state schools, the ones that miss out will be the people with disruptive homes without the money to pay for a proper internet or a proper laptop. And we know that the government scheme to give everyone laptops has been helpful, but it's not got anything like everybody who needs it. But also, where do they think these kids are going to be?
1: I mean, the idea that all these kids oh okay, so you're not gonna have school but you're gonna have Zoom lessons which which, you know, fifty percent of kids or something weren't attending anyway in the lockdown. And you think those kids a week before Christmas, schools ended early, you think they're going to be sitting in their bedrooms doing their work as opposed to all mixing together and going and hanging out and going to the shops or, or wherever or, I, 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 mean, to, I mean I mean sometimes I do worry that these you know these, these whether it's London mayor or it's behavioral psychologists on stage whether they've ever, ever met human beings.
2: Yes, I mean, especially at this point in the year, you know, at Christmas. And of course, it's unlikely to be outside either. It's more likely to be in their homes, given how cold it is. So many of the dangers would still be there. But, you know, with the self-isolation rules, there have been lots of kids have lost weeks of proper schooling during the past term because they've had to go home and self-isolate if someone's tested positive. And so you've already got this huge inequality where, for example, you know, Kids in Cornwall have had very low rates, probably pretty much a full term without being disrupted. But take, for example, Birmingham, which has had a real nightmare of it in recent months. You've got kids that have missed loads of time and have struggled to catch up. Yeah. And you've got such an inequality across the country that if then we were to add another week of not sitting in class for some people you know they all take the same exams at the end of the year and yeah. so i think you get an even more unfair situation where you know a child in one part of the country has had so much less access to learning yeah. than some in the others
1: yeah and indeed indeed children at, at neighboring schools depending where the schools actually are, are, are provided decent lessons i was amazed to discover even some of the, the country's top private schools um you'd think they'd have enough sharp elbowed middle class parents like me to insist in it but even they were not getting proper lessons I and mean, you know think if some of them weren't doing it then God help everyone else. Um, Let's also talk about the the vaccine, though, because um, a quarter of a million get vaccinated. We know that the Americans have just approved as of today they're going to start rolling out the vaccine. Um, um, I find it extraordinary, actually, that apparently White House staff are going to get it uh, rather than the very elderly first up. uh, Frankly, virtually the entire White House staff has had for COVID. I'm not sure they need it. But um, there's been some, some polls suggesting something like one in four or one in five care home workers may refuse the jab and many thousands of NHS staff uh, may refuse the jab. Now we often talk about how you know, oh, people who don't want the jab, that you know, oh, they're COVID idiots, they don't know what they're doing, they're they're they you know va- anti-vaxxers and the like. These are people working with the most vulnerable people, people for whom they should absolutely get the vaccine because they are at risk of passing it, the, the, the risk of getting it themselves and passing it on to very um, at-risk people, vulnerable and elderly people in particular. And yet they're saying they won't get the vaccine. There's a lot more to be done in terms of education and building up trust isn't there?
2: There is I mean look I read this story on Sunday and you know a huge number of people work in the NHS so first of all if there's a couple of thousand people that will not get the vaccine that's certainly a bad thing but it's also a tiny percentage share of those who work there. I would say personally that if you refuse to get the vaccine and your job is in the NHS where you work with vulnerable people in h- much higher risk situations then I'm afraid you shouldn't be allowed to go to work it's as simple as that and you know you can make the choice but the fact is other people shouldn't be put at risk uh, because of you refusing the vaccine and i think you know if it if it gets to the situation where there is a serious problem which i actually don't think there will be but if there is a serious problem of NHS staff some of them not accepting it i think that's the reality they should be faced with you know you can't okay. force it by law but there is a real danger to this and I, like everyone else I'm sick of the world being shut down and that's a reality that will continue if not enough people get this vaccine. Yeah, I mean
1: I, I don't I, I don't want to go compulsory either by hook or by crook direct or indirect for the vaccine. Um I, I don't think we should impose healthcare on people in that way but it would seem to me to be um you know, if, if over 60 over 70 I think you should absolutely get the vaccine. Uh, under that age I think I mean there is there is more of a nuanced discussion to have in terms of the risks uh, not of the vaccine the risks of getting covid but um certainly I think if you're working with elderly people if I I were working with elderly people I would get the vaccine simple as that I I, I would think that was just the right thing to do Uh, but I don't think people should be cursed into it we'll have to to leave it there though Benjamin I do apologise it's 6.46 Uh, you are listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Breakfast Show on Talk Radio with the Sun Digital Edition app get your favourite newspaper delivered straight to your device it's the Sun and then Sun
2: online
1: on DAB and on the Talk Radio app Talk Radio.
2: Christmas may be a bit different this year, but it should still be special for everyone. That's why Talk Radio are proud to promote the Sainsbury's Help Brighten a Million Christmases campaign. Sainsbury's have teamed up with hundreds of community partners, including Comic Relief and Fair Share, to help bring food and support to those who need it most this Christmas. So if you can, please consider donating in-store, online or with your Nectar Points. Sainsbury's will match your charity donation up to four million pounds. Together, we can help brighten a million Christmases. For full details and terms.
0: Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra.